You are now checked in to Stand Up New York Labs. Oh, yeah. I'm on size natural and basketball tool. All I are badges and their protest wall. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Free Speech. We're here at Stand Up Labs New York on the gorgeous Upper West Side. And this is our first Skype Free Speech podcast. And we are with the breathtakingly melt-in-your-mouth, hot-as-coals, Jim Goad. Um, my favorite author, huge inspiration uh, for me personally and my old company, uh, Vice. And uh, basically the greatest writer of our generation. We'll be picking his brain about everything, including his own personal life. And yes. you're going to come out of it a fuck of a lot smarter. Yeah. Right on. Arsenio Hall, dog pound, woof, yeah, woof, woof. Woof, um, Where are you right now? You're always, every time I call you, you're living in a new spot. I'm, uh, I live on a horse farm in Stockbridge, Georgia. There are three and a half horses here, three full grown and one mini dwarf pony and, uh, Two huskies and a cat. And uh, I live two miles from a lake. I go walk there every day and feed the ducks peanut butter crackers and uh, do my yoga and my weightlifting and my breathing and just getting centered. And thought, I mean, I'm 25 minutes from downtown Atlanta, but the older I get, I don't want to be in cities. Cities just make me feel claustrophobic. I grew up in Philly, idolized New York and after a while, you, you grow more and more misanthropic. You don't want to be around tons of people and tons of buildings. I'm here happy with the, the little toads that infest the place and <laughs> some of the insects and the horses. I'm pleased as punch. Now, people who are not familiar with Mr. Goad, he sounds like a hippie, but this is more of a Hunter Thompson thing where he has to seclude himself because hate seethes from every pore of his being. In fact, I have a quote here from you. Hatred. One of the best... Can I yeah. say it? Hey, we've got a delay here, so we're going to keep stepping on each other. Hatred is the air I breathe. It permeates every cell in my body. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I still intensely dislike most people. Uh, <laughs> I've learned not to let it get to me as much. Uh, I, I also want to say Hunter S. Thompson, Tom Wolfe is the far superior writer. I don't know why. Is it because he did so much dope that people think Hunter S. Thompson's so great? No, I was more just thinking of his lifestyle. Like, if Hunter lived in the Lower East Side, he would have killed some Puerto Ricans by now. He yeah. needed he needed to be out there so he could shoot his guns. And I wasn't really comparing the writing styles; more like okay. the, I mean, the lifestyle. That was. I mean, Dostoevsky said this about prison too. The worst thing is forced cohabitation with people you'd never want to have anything to do with. One of the best descriptions somebody ever gave of me, and it was unintentionally complimentary. It was when, we'll call her Anne, the, uh, the chick who uh, got involved in my life in the late 90s. She was going around town in Portland asking people about me. And this guy who worked at Pal Books said, Jim's the nicest guy you ever want to meet. But when you talk to him, he grits his teeth like he can't stand you. <laughs> and and I'm un I mean, I'm unaware of it. I mean, I, I usually like to think I'm aware that I'm being hostile. But sometimes, I guess, I, maybe it's just I'm... Um, shy i don't know I, i'm not gregarious and people interpret that for being a dick oh i can be a dick but uh, but not out of the gate i like to give them an excuse you're like a chuck That's zito me. dick you wait until some you, everyone's the same this is very much the scottish way everyone is your best friend everyone's cool until one person does the wrong thing and then it's full-on satanic vitriol stealth dick yeah 
Uh, I lay traps instead of go hunting, yeah. Right. Well, when I first discovered you in the early 90s, I thought your hatred was a breath of fresh air, and that was really uh, the, the glory days of hate, where today when you say hate, it means you want black people to go back to Africa and you think they're dumb, and that's the whole thing. But in the early 90s, when, we, when Sarush Alvi and I were trying to find out what we wanted to make our magazine, we, we didn't enjoy, everything seemed so phony, and people were always taking a persona, and Hunter S. Thompson was a big part of it. And then we read Answer Me, and we go, this guy gets it. He, he's, he hates purses. He hates your band. He hates small talk. And all of a sudden, we felt like, this is home. And it's, well, I, I kind of took a tip. John Waters did an essay once saying, take your most unattractive trait and make it into a virtue. Like, if you have bad acne, rub potato chips all over your face. <laughs> I figure, what's my problem? It's I'm an intensely angry person. Got to mute this call coming in. So I'd make that my virtue. And again, hate, and I'm going to sound 14 here, quoting Anton LaVey, but he said something along the lines of, hate and love are both too valuable to be wasted on the undeserving. Yes. So I'm a little more sparing with it these days. I and mean, it's, it's tiring. It's better to just ignore people because you wind up, all you do is wind up hating and getting into feuds. And the, the cost-benefit ratio just turned out. After about 50 years, I realized it's not worth it. Yeah, this, the social justice warriors who scream for your blood are effective. They can shut down your business. But you also realize, I'm arguing with a 20-year-old who hasn't looked it up, and this is a waste of my time. I'm not a teacher. Well, the, there's that, and they're the most hate-filled fuckers on the planet, <laughs> screaming, bleeding, resentment, spraying like diarrhea in every direction they turn, which is cool if they could come to terms with it. But they're fighting hate. That's, I think that's what I hate. If you're just hateful, fine. I have, I have no problem with that. As long as you know, I don't get impacted by it, I'll, I'll get out of your way. But like, these people are so fucking bitter, so malicious, take such sadistic glee in destroying everything in their path in the name of love. <laughs> well, you told me a quote. It's, it's, it doesn't do well in arguments to quote this guy, but you told me about a Timothy McVeigh quote about the, the hatred from the left, and he was trying to figure it out. That's not ringing any bells. Uh, the Unabomber. So sorry, the Unabomber, not Timothy McVeigh. The Unabomber Manifesto. Also, there's a whole, there's a passage called the Psychology of Leftism in the Unabomber Manifesto, and he talks about how leftists talk about how their motivation is compassion, but hostility is too prominent a component of their behavior for that. So is the drive for power and control. These are angry motherfuckers, which is fine, but they're against anger. Hateful motherfuckers, but they're against hate. In essence, they make no sense, and all they're doing is projecting their own complexes onto the fucking world. That's where I have a problem. Plus, they have, they've killed humor. There's no humor left. Yes. This thing is funny. Well, I... On eggshells to, to avoid lawsuits and banishment and ritual shunning. What a fucking uptight generation this is. I think Stanhope covered this, too, like... Before the old folks like me would complain about how outrageous the, the kids are, they're pussies. They are so fucking. You, I've never seen. I mean, the nuns I went to school with are not as easily offended as these fuckers. What happened? What did they put in the water? Are they all medicated. Everything just like they're, they're feeling. They can't get out of bed in the morning unless everyone accepts them. Grow the fuck up. You feel like just kicking them in the head. 
Or I do. <laughs> I don't <wanna> it. <laughs> it might be because they had no jobs. Legally, aliens did their jobs. That made them sit soft. It also uh, might be medication. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to find a young person who's not on Adderall these days. Well, Adderall, I mean, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sir. What did you say about Adderall? <laughs> I'm on it right now. Are you on Adderall? <laughs> yeah, I have a very busy day today, Jim. Sulfate What's that? I've got a lot to do today. I need Red okay. Bull and Adderall to get it done. I mean, Adderall's meth, and I'm, I'm amazed they're prescribing it to kids and everything, but I think the real destructive thing, uh, the SSRIs, the antidepressants, they turn people into fucking zombies. And it was, again, Kaczynski who said that, imagine a world that makes people so unhappy that they have to invent a pill to blunt it over. Yeah. But the problem is the shitty situation that made you depressed in the first place persists. Now you're happy with the cockroaches crawling over your face. And I mean, it... I think they're dangerous, and I think it's had probably more cultural impact over the past generation than anything. It's the rampant overprescription of antidepressants. Every fucking buddy I know, especially women, are medicated out the gills with this shit, and I've never seen it make anyone better. I was on it for two months during it. Well, here were my depressive uh, the mitigating factors. I was facing 25 years in prison. My mom got diagnosed with cancer, ex-wife had a relapse of cancer, and the lawyer that I was saving up to get, who all the convicts told me was the best lawyer in town, never loses, couldn't take my case. I went on Paxil for two months. I heard, uh, I've done every drug that I ever had the opportunity to do. Paxil's the only one where I had auditory hallucinations. Wow. I would hear screaming and then wake, you know, wake up and say, oh, it's head. And I, I had the, the worst thing about it was, you know how like a mother cat will lift the cat by the scruff of the neck? I felt there, there was this hand like controlling me. Jesus. Really creepy, unpleasant feeling. And when I went off it two months, I said, take me off this shit. The best I, metaphor I could use, it felt like your sinus is clearing up. I could think again. How these people just go on my meds for my depression. Shut the fuck up. Chop down a tree. Do anything. Like there are ways to get around depression Besides doping yourself the fuck up. That's interesting. You, you may have just solved the, the <laughs> modern rebellion problem. Uh, they, they, they love the president. They want more regulations. At Occupy Wall Street, it's all about more cops, more, more regulation, more government control. And then even with the anti-cop rallies, they're holding these Russian flags, you know, with hammers and sickles saying, we want a police state. We hate police, basically. Maybe these yeah. medications are making them want to be, you know, Lulled. <laughs> Most of them lulled. Again, astonishing to me how easily and upset they get. I think I wrote in uh, it was either the Redneck Book or Answer Me about like these breathing. This, this, you have to do anything. They wake up offended. They go to sleep offended. I, they, I wrote an article that the new church ladies. These are just, they're looking for Satan everywhere, but Satan is hatred. Hatred is a natural human emotion. You hate things that threaten your survival. I would understand why gay people would hate gay bashers. I understand why blacks might have a chip on their shoulder about whites in general. Understandable. But I'm denied the right to dislike and hate things? Fuck that. Like it, it, I'm, I'm just not going to... They're going to have to shoot me. <laughs> the, the thing about me, whether it's Asperger's, autism, social shaming, I don't give a fuck. I, I, they're not important enough for me to care. The only thing that bothers me is if they get the facts wrong. No, it was 25 stitches in her skull, not 26. <laughs> That's all that matters. Well, Dennis Prager likes to quote Krauthammer where he goes, they think that we're evil. We just think they're wrong. And 
there's this compulsion with with the left these days to want to censor everything, whereas I feel like from our side, the evil, hate-filled, you know, right-wing fascists, we want to just debate it. And it's, I don't know when that happened, but all of a sudden, we're the hippies. Yeah, I... I would like to see more of these hate-filled fascists just for entertainment value. Yes. Um, the one thing I noticed, and with your X magazine especially, if someone is not does not toe the party line entirely, they don't call them someone we disagree with. They're an asshole. Oh, yeah, that's a big catch word. Asshole. It's like, to me, an asshole is somebody who steps on your foot and doesn't apologize, who eats the food in your refrigerator, who's inconsiderate. Or like you, when you stole my pot from my house and left a note saying, I, I stole your pot. I thought it was considerate enough to leave a note. <laughs> what was it, a joint? I'll get you the weed back, for Christ's sake. It was the principle of the thing. It really hurt. It was. You know, that was inconsiderate. It was a rare blip of inconsideration. But it was, a, I mean, you were, you, uh, you were needling that girl I was with about uh, being a Cherokee or something, about how they, they couldn't have taken... Do you remember that? Because you were pretty plastered, too. You said something about, uh, would you guys, like, you trouble with the wheel? You couldn't take an octagon and then work on it? Well, and- first she was doing that stupid white thing where she's 125th Cherokee and says she's an Indian. And Cherokees don't have borders on who can be them because they don't have any money. But any anyone with a casino says, one quarter or you're out. And then I, I, so I said, you're not a Cherokee. And then I also said, what are you complaining about? We fought you for 400 years. You eventually lost. You put up a great fight. And when we got here, you hadn't invented the wheel. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, uh, this is totally out of my ass, but I haven't seen anything that contradicts it. Sub-Saharan Africa did not have any written languages when uh, Paleface arrived. These are sort of the things that might have had something to do with why these places were conquered. Yeah. The, the narrative that you have to listen to now is these evil, melanin-deficient devils conspired one day to just hurt and maim and destroy. It's like, fuck you. They're, you know, <laughs> try to figure out why it happened. Like, like Hannibal didn't try conquering Europe, the Moors didn't, Genghis Khan didn't conquer most of the world. Okay, wait, Just, sorry to interrupt you, but no, no one knows this. They all assume whites took over the world because we cheated, and everyone was just sitting there having a peace pipe party, and we grabbed their pipes and said, get the fuck out of here. But tell us about Hannibal. Hannibal was a Carthaginian, North, North African, brilliant general. I think uh, part of his army used elephants to... I think they came over the Alps to try to conquer the Roman Empire and uh, put up a good fight, but got repelled. So he was a attempted colonizer of Europe. The Moors were Muslims from uh, Morocco, uh, Algeria, whatever the countries were called back then, who came to Spain around 700 AD when Islam was kicking in. I think it was 700. It was, they were there for 500 years. I forget. Except it might have been 1,000 to 1,500 because I think that's when the Spanish Inquisition was. But they came and conquered. And Genghis Khan, fuck, I mean, there was some recent genetic study like a ridiculous quotient of the people alive today are like his direct descendants. The Mongolian Empire was the biggest, as far as landmass, empire in human history. They occupied, I think, parts of modern Hungary. This idea that like only whites went into other territory, it's, it's an anti-white idea. It's historically inaccurate, and it's blood libel. It's trying to say that whites are the only people who were predatory. Bullshit. That's well, nuts. I, I uh, had no idea what happened in Haiti and how Haiti got it back, but that was a brutal genocide. 
they killed everybody. And it was, uh, I don't think it was, I don't know how you pronounce it, Toussaint Louverture. Uh, I think it was like, right wrote something about how we're going to write the Constitution of Haiti with our quill dipped in the blood of a white man and on the skin of a white man. You know, it's like, wow, pretty intense. It's like, well, good. So what happened in Haiti? Oh, <laughs> oops, don't mention that. Once you took over, what the fuck happened? That's something, I mean, you remember that article I did after the Haitian earthquake. My whole thing was, well, how can you tell the difference? Yeah. Look well, at Haiti before the earthquake. I think Port-au-Prince is the worst place on earth. I think it has the so highest crime rate. The, the ghetto and, yeah, uh, the city of the sun and, and Port-au-Prince is like the worst. I, mean, I think Monrovia might, might uh, but yeah, it's there tends to be a pattern there. And that's one of the questions... I started asking too. It's like, well, if it's all whites' fault, then why do some of these countries take a dive after they drive the colonists out? That, if it was all whites' fault, then that wouldn't happen. Yeah, you know, it's like multiculturalism. If it needed, if it was such a wonderful thing, wouldn't it just naturally thrive on its own? Why do we have to take billions of taxpayer dollars trying to make it happen? Well, the thing that's hilarious to me, they always talk about how children need to be taught to be racist. It's like, well, why? 24-7 are you teaching them not to then? Mm -hmm. If they have to be taught to, then shut the fuck up. Just shut up about race. But they know that people will self-segregate and people, that's, I would think it's partially genetic that animals that look alike tend to flock together. And, and I say this as somebody who has no social instincts at all. I couldn't give a fuck about white people or hanging out with my white brothers or anything. I, I take people... More on an individual basis than any of these fucking anti-racists. They, they look at shit totally in tribal terms. Well, you hate liberals so much, you always move to black neighborhoods. This is the first time I've ever seen you not living in the ghetto. I've got a... <laughs> Even before this came... There's a black roommate upstairs, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, cool as hell. She's, she's really nice. She calls me Jim Kowski. I call her Don DeLion. The, the, the hilarious thing is... It had never, ever fucking been an issue with me. I lived in a completely white neighborhood in the suburban Philly when I was gay Jesus and Godspell in Center City, Philadelphia at a like half-black high school. I had a birthday party. I brought the cast out. caused a fucking scandal in my neighborhood. I had a black girlfriend in the mid-'80s when it was radical for a Michael Jackson video to be on MTV. First minute I encountered... Because uh, I was a behavioral problem in my working class Catholic school. They sent me to a private school thinking that would make me behave better. That's when I first saw black people. There were, I guess, rich black kids. Tiger, Leland Hardy, he's now like a Wall Street executive, was my best friend. I always thought they, I think person for person will always think they have more charisma than white people. They've, they've been some of the coolest, most decent people ever. There's never fucking been an issue with me. The ones I hate are the way, because Steve Saylor said it. This whole anti-racism thing really doesn't have much to do with black people. No. It's status competition among whites. And as one of the theses of the Redneck Manifesto was, it's rich whites scapegoating the poor ones for slavery. It's like, well, who, who owned the slave ships? It wasn't the crackers who were originally indentured servants and plantation workers. It was the ones now who are in you know, academia and in media pointing a finger at the ones who never had... I mean, they talk about you can't be racist unless you have the power to oppress... These poor fucking hillbillies never did. They might have been hired guns from time to time, but so are, you know, Black Panthers, for fuck's sake. Well, um, let's tackle some of that. Um, I've often heard you imply that when you include indentured servitude, there was more white slaves than black slaves. Yeah, and I never, I mean, people, 
the thing, the big frustration with being a writer is people are emotionally driven much more than logically driven. And I, I banged my head against a wall. My, as you can tell, my newly repaired head. Even though oh, you got a steel plate. Oh, here I got a titanium plate in my head. Bang my head, you know, trying to just talk logic to them, and you can't. But I, I extrapolated some of the figures from pamphlets in the 1600s, 1700s. There was one estimate; it was like forty thousand British kids a year were being taken by the spirit gang, spirited away, kidnapped, which became the root word of kidnapping, and sent to the colonies. If that was true, forty thousand a year. In 10 years, that would have matched the 400,000 black slaves transported to the New World, to North America. Another thing, I think it's 94% of Africans that were taken from Africa to the New World were sent to South America. Why the fuck Brazil doesn't get the reputation America does, I'll never know. Sorry, this, uh, this is Skype, so things are imperfect. Um, you just said 90% of the slaves from Africa went to South America, and, and we only 90, got 10%? 94%. There was there roughly, I think, 15 to 20 million, and 400,000 of them came to what is now the United States. The overwhelming share of them went to Brazil and what is now South America. Yeah. And isn't the reason so many Irish trash were used as indentured servants is because they tried them out in the fields, but they would die of infections from sunburn? Well, that's why they they started switching over to black labor was that uh, the white constitution was just not made for plant well as sun and uh, I mean in Barbados they were, they were dying of tropical diseases and stuff like that too yeah but that's something that I don't even know if they teach indentured servitude in school anymore when I was in school they taught it as this benign thing like well yeah you would come over and Thomas Jefferson would teach you how to run a printing press or something no it was brutal you, you research the literature and what was said at the time it was absolutely they treated the indentured servants worse because they were like rent cars. You beat the fuck out of a rent car because you don't have to keep it for life. <laughs> and these are, these are what was said of contemporaries. They, oh, well, you were trying to say whites had it. Where I'm like, you missed the whole fucking point. I'm saying there's a whole thing that's ignored. And if, if it's like pulling the camera back. It's, it's like the six Hindu men and the elephant, like the blind guy. You know, they're all blind and one holds the tail. Oh, it's a snake. One feels the side. Of, oh, it's a wall. Like, if you pull the camera, oh, no, it's a fucking elephant. If you pull back and look at the white indentured servitude and you put it in perspective, it's like, oh, this was economic exploitation. They didn't give a fuck about race. They only started writing race into the laws when black and white slaves started rebelling together with Bacon's Rebellion in the late 1600s. They don't teach any of this shit. It's a simplistic, retarded morality tale now that otherwise intelligent people swallow. Well, I guess I'm manipulated emotionally. <laughs> sorry, Jim, can you hold on a sec? Can we do something yeah. about this fucking connection? Can you tell people in the office not to use the internet or something? It's driving me insane. <laughs> it's ruining the whole fucking thing. I'm not giving you shit. I'm just saying I'm frustrated here. Um, you're giving shit. You're giving you're giving a little shit. Really? No, it's like... Giving shit is more like... Um, I, I, every time someone says that these hate facts that Jim Goad's... Spews. It's always like vile and spewing and, yeah, and vomits. Yeah. I go, no, he's not pro-white. He doesn't like white people. He doesn't like anyone. There's no, there's no incentive here for lies. This is just, I looked it up and everyone got it wrong. But one, one trope I keep hearing and, and I get frustrated trying to defend is everyone in America is on the same page. And that is this country was built on slavery. 
This table, this mic, we wouldn't have these buildings here if it wasn't for the slaves laying the bricks. What do you say the, to that? How much of this stuff did the slaves invent? Very little. Number two, if all of our wealth and power was built on slavery, how, did, how the fuck did the North win the Civil War? Because they were working white children in New England five years old to death in factories 20 hours a day. Um, and that worked out great. Like, if, if all this wealth is just naturally comes from African labor, where is all the wealth in Africa? Yes. Now, when you start acting, I mean, there, were, there was some white technology and white organizational prowess that had something to do with making the U.S. a superpower. The U.S. didn't become a superpower until around World War I anyway. The idea that all of our wealth was built on slavery, the South, any wealth the South had was obliterated after the Civil War. It's, it's, it's a lie. That's it's a huge detail I want to just pause on for a sec. The balance sheet was in the negatives. Our bank account was in the negatives after the Civil War. So that is dictionary definition blank slate. Now, I've heard it say, well, there was still a racist society, so you were getting cheap labor after. And that's kind of a weak argument. Idea that America is this uniquely rare place. So, I'm a Chinese citizen or a Japanese citizen, or try going to Syria and becoming—I mean, without giving up a lot of shit. Every fucking culture on Earth is ethnocentric. The idea that it's strictly white is an anti-white idea. Uh, I, it is blood libel. It's—it's it's almost being like a male, a white male these days is, I would think, similar to. Being a, a black male of a few hundred years ago or being a Jew in Germany, like, right, you are presumed guilty. It's like you're born with a sin on your soul. Yeah. Fuck that. And that's all I'm saying. People are assholes. I've met white assholes, black assholes. That's the true equality. Intelligence and physical skill. No one's equal. Capability of being an asshole, I, that does not discriminate. <laughs> I heard one. I think what sickens me is being raised Catholic and de and dealing with these nasty moralists. These people remind me of the nuns that would beat me over the fucking head and scold and try to shame me. Anyone, the most ethical people I've ever known in my life never ever moralize. The ones who do beat their chest. I mean, even Jesus talked about that. The ones who go in the public square and and there's a psychological reason they're doing it. It has nothing to do with helping people. It's it's so they appear to be good people. It is like the Anton LaVey good guy badge. Who needs it? I, you know, the friends I have are because we've been decent to one another. Some jerk off somewhere in Kansas who reads me and misinterprets it and calls from my head. Nah, fuck you. Yeah. I, I don't care. <laughs> like, if you want to talk, I'm always willing to talk. If they, if after an hour or two they prove themselves too dim to get it. And you don't talk anymore. But they never want to talk. That, that was the thing I had for two decades. Challenging all these people who wrote or talk shit, let's talk about it. Oh, no, I'm not going to give you a forum. It's like, why do you keep talking about me then? Yeah. <laughs> if, if I'm such an idiot, take me on. Unmask me. They never want to do that. <laughs> well, a lot of the arguments from the other side is if you look at America today and you look at the top brass who's really reeling it in, you see a lot of white males. So they go, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't represent the demographics of the entire country perfectly. So the game must be rigged somehow. Well, there, I mean, there's still a majority that has something to do with it. But you can never talk about the relatively higher income of Jews and Asians. Because that fucks up the whole script. Yeah. 
these intensely intelligent, intensely successful minorities are doing better than your average white male. How does that factor into it? The only institutionalized discrimination currently is with, you know, preferential minority contracts, female contracts. Those do discriminate against white males. I mean, you have to, what was the last thing I saw at Harvard to get in as an Asian? You have to have about 420 more points on your SAT scores than a black person. How the fuck is that fair? And the Asians are actually starting to sue over this sort of stuff. In California, there was something against some initiative where they were going to start affirmative action. Something where the Asians rightly concluded this would discriminate against them. Well, if they if they pretend to be obsessed with justice, but meritocracy is the perfect justice. And I, I always find it interesting that you never hear women complaining about not being represented in sanitation enough. Well, right. There's the uh, a friend of mine because you hear about the glass ceiling. He has a term, the glass coffin. <laughs> it's as far as getting killed on the job. That's pretty much the almost exclusive domain of guys. As far as going to prison for the exact same offenses, it happens to guys. Uh, living longer, women. <laughs> uh, the idea that it's, uh, I mean, a woman hating, there's this war on women, are you crazy? Like how? Because they don't want to, some people don't want to pay for free condoms or something? Like how is it a war on women? <laughs> or you have some dumb but well-intentioned idiot lawmaker from West Virginia who says, well, Yes, rape is horrible, but it can be beautiful if a ba beautiful baby. And he, you know, he wasn't saying rape is beautiful. You know, and what was the the idiot out in Kansas, uh, Todd Aiken or whatever his name was, said something about like in real rape the female body shuts down. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He said it was impossible to get pregnant from a rape. Yeah, dumb. But like the, you don't even see the malice there. The people that have the left is is the group with the malice these days. They are fucking nasty fuckers. But and I'd be fine with that, like I said, if it wasn't cloaked in this bullshit rainbow love. And because they're not, they're so fucking hostile. I'm a hostile guy, but I can't compete. <laughs> what, what do you mean when you talk about the cannibalism of the left? Oh, uh, well, I guess I did an article called "Cannibalism Among the Oppressed," and it was spurred by this. Uh, Michelle Obama was giving some speech and some white lesbian got up and forgetting the details now was something like, well, you know, I'm a little few rungs lower than you on the totem pole because of the <laughs> lesbian we've, and it's intersectionality. It's like, it's like the progressive stack at Occupy Wall Street. You, I mean, the crippled black lesbian with one eye would get to speak first. And it's like, it's, it's this ongoing game of who was more oppressed. And there was a certain time, I think, when the world was a little saner, when being oppressed pride Sorry, was you, more something to be ashamed of. You cut out there. Can you, can you repeat that once? Yeah. There used to be a time when the world was a little bit saner when being oppressed or being a, a historical loser was not deemed to be a bragging right. <laughs> yeah. It's like Britain with their proud of the working class thing. It's, it's a patently un-American way to think. Working sucks. I mean, I come from the working class, and I'm a, I'm angry because other people had the breaks that I never fucking did. That's nothing to be proud of. It sucks, and you try to get out of it as quickly as possible. I mean, it's a defensive kind of pride. It's a dumb pride. Yeah. It's like I no, I work a shitty job, and I'm gonna die of cancer before I reach 65. It's like you're and you're proud of this. 
<laughs> yeah, working class. And that was the funny thing with the skinheads who stalked me in Portland was they were all working class and had the working class, and they were all from Lake Oswego, which was known in Portland as Lake No Negroes. <laughs> it was like the whitest and the richest part of Portland. And they pretended they were they played dress up and pretended they were working class. Well, that... Which is insulting because if you had, if you've ever had to fucking just scrape for your next meal, nothing to be proud of. I mean, it gives you a perspective where everyone else's problems seem like the princess and the pea, and you need to shut the fuck up about microaggressions and all this shit that I'd, I would love to have those sort of problems. But otherwise, there's nothing to be proud of. <laughs> well, it reminds me of, of our days as punk rockers fighting Nazi skinheads, and it was, like you said with Steve Saylor, it was the middle-class punks fighting the working-class skinheads, and they were mad that we had dads, and we were mad... I don't know why we were mad. We just thought we would fight them. It had nothing to do with visible minorities or Jews or any of that. And that's the roots of political correctness. It's, I'm going to tell you how to talk. It's not African-American this year. It's person of color. It's, yeah. about, it's about patronizing. As far as I can determine, the person who came up with the term political, politically correct was Mao Zedong, or however they're pronouncing it and spelling it these days. Mao, probably the biggest killer of the 20th century. He said something along the lines of a person who is not correct politically has no soul. <laughs> it's not, and again, there's that thinking. It's not they disagree with me, and I'd like to discuss it. It's like they are evil. How do you fucking how do you argue with someone like that? After it's, a while, you just don't because they're they're superstitious. They're they're magical thinkers. And there's this sort of communist dehumanization where you can kill seventy seven million of someone if they have no soul. Now, now you're cutting out. I think the. No soul. Well, that's, I mean, isn't that the, that's the pretext for slaughtering anyone is dehumanizing them. Uh, I once heard it argued that every human society is against murdering humans, but they all differ in how they define a human. And again, with white males, it's like they're being routinely dehumanized and blood libeled and, you know, smeared with original sin. Gives you the sense that maybe they're being set up for destruction, or at least uh, having some power taken from them. And who wants? Who, who in their right mind would want power taken from them? They talk about, oh, you're afraid of losing your power. It's like, well, why not? Are you afraid of losing your car? <laughs> why would you not? Why would you? Who besides a fucking masochist or somebody with an extra car to spare would be cool with that? Well, that was. Um... <laughs> Uh, that was Wounded Knee. They didn't want their guns taken away. And that's what started it all. Was it the, the I was going to say engines, the Native Americans didn't want their guns taken away? Because I'm not too familiar with that incident. I know it was in the Dakotas in the 70s, but I don't know much about it. Yeah, the, the authorities were trying to take these prisoners' guns away, and they were getting along with them well. Uh, I mean, they were being transported. And the soldiers who were transporting these Indians said, you can carry your guns. We know you're not going to fight us. And then if we get attacked, we can work together. Then the bosses, the rich white bosses, show up and say, you can't give them guns. They try to take the guns. Whole snowball starts. And next thing you know, women and children are getting shot. And that's, you know, the worst blight in our history. But it, it brings me to this concept of people in general are pretty good guys and we have incarcerated 2.2 million of them on the basis that some are just evil and have to be put away. And I think it's, it's just a, a way to make money. When you dehumanize people, you can build an industry on incarceration. 
Well, I think, I mean, they've made advances. They, they think that drug addiction is neurological and genetic in basis. And there's a lot more sympathy for drug addicts these days than for violent people. Well, they don't harm anybody. It's like, you ever been around a fucking drug addict? They harm everyone around them. Yeah. They, they steal and lie and, I mean, destroy lives. Junkies but lie it, after they get clean because they've just, they've become so used to lying. They don't even know how to be honest anymore. Yeah, like, and, and they're lionized. Kurt Co I mean, but 50 years ago, if you were, you know, if you smoked a reefer, you were banished from humanity. I think one day they'll realize there are neurological bases for things such as violence. I was punched by my dad while I was still in the womb. I was exposed to extreme violence and screaming and smashing early on. And I think that rewires you neurologically. Uh, I mean, I... They've tried diagnosing me. Some say narcissistic personality disorder. Others say antisocial personality disorder. Guilty on yeah, those some sound accurate. <laughs> Post-traumatic stress disorder is, I think, the most realistic one. I'm, I'm kind of like I think I was born like a Vietnam vet, and that doesn't make me evil. It just makes me kind of shell shocked. And if somebody comes at me hitting me, they're gonna fucking get hit back. Well, that segues that's just, that's just as, an animal response. That segues. The idea that it's just evil. It's like I thought you hated Christians and Christ anybody who uses the word evil to me is a moron. It's it's a, a dumb word to describe something that threatens you. And it's funny how never in a war, oh, we're the evil side. No one ever says that. Yeah. The other guy is always the evil side, and that's the pretext for killing them. I, don't, I see people as dumb. That's all over the place. Evil. I could see malicious intending to harm. Yeah, okay, but evil, that's so Christian and mystical in its thinking. It just seems dumb to me. But that's the modern leftists, the one who were free-thinking, free-loving, smoking their dope and playing their bongos in the dirt in the 60s. They're the fucking witch hunters now. They've got enough power where they're the dicks. They're the ones who see evil and everything and putting stamping fires out. Like I, like I said earlier, if, if kids have to be taught to be racist... Why, why do you feel this need to shut everyone else up who even expresses this desire? If it's a dumb idea, expose it. I think their behavior signals that they're kind of afraid of these ideas, afraid of the power these ideas would have on them mm -hmm. if they didn't resist them. It might resonate, I think yeah. When Answer Me got uh, prosecuted, this on and make them, I'm like, have you seen this fucking magazine? Who would get turned on by this? It was repulsive. Well, that, so it made me, what, what is wrong with this DA? That is he getting turned on by it? Why would he think others would? It just it struck me as so foreign. But a lot of time, a censor, they're they're lash. It's like a you know the classic. It's an overused word, homophobe. Some people just don't like homosexuality. It doesn't mean they're afraid of it. But there is there is a psychological type type that goes out gay bashing because of you know their own hidden dark impulses. I think it's the same thing with anti-racists. It's like, and even the stories I heard about these guys in Portland, they'd be playing screwdriver and beating up Mexicans and calling them wetbacks and everything. When you're crusading that hard against something, it says something about you. Yeah. It says something, it's, it's projection, I think, in a lot of ways. Well, you were in the worst place on earth for two and a half years. Can we address the elephant in the room? Yeah, yeah. I went to prison for hitting a woman back. Uh, you're around all these bad guys, these evil men. What percentage would you say uh, deserved to be there and couldn't function in society? Well, I, th I think uh, what makes them incapable of functioning in society is putting them in for a long fucking time. 
uh, the, there's a term in there, you're institutionalized, where you just, you get out and it's so unfamiliar and, and everyone's problems seem so trivial to what you've just gone through. You can't relate at all. Right. Uh, again, I think, I think hopefully in a hundred years, maybe less, maybe a thousand years, they're going to see the idea of putting human beings in cages as barbaric. <laughs> it's, it will be seen as something like slavery. It's like, what the fuck were you thinking? You take somebody who's already messed up and has emotional problems, put them in a fucking cage, treat them like an animal for five years and expect them to be better? But what, what about the, the guy who raped and beat a woman in, with five other guys and then they poured bleach down their throat and lit them on fire like that, those beasts in, uh, in Kansas? Five. Yeah, the Knoxville Five. That was, yeah, in, in Tennessee, and it's a story that would have, I mean, again, friends of mine said this should be an iPhone app. What if the races were reversed? Right. <laughs> like, been five white guys making a black woman drink bleach. You would have heard about that. St everyone would know the names, but it was, uh, I think Christian was the last name of one of the white victims, and Newsom was the other, and five people who just, yeah, raped and beat and tortured. And I think... Again, one day, hopefully, I have faith in science, and I have faith that one day they'll figure out what makes people violent and maybe find some kind of clockwork orange-style cure for it. But those guys need to be in a cage. Maybe if they figure out what's wrong with people's brains and make them do that and can rewire it as totalitarian as that sounds, yeah. that, might be, <laughs> that might be the answer. Because okay. putting them in a cage just makes them more fucking violent. Yeah, but it gets them away from Christians and Newsoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, again, I, I ask this question to everyone I know who's been in prison. What percentage were of guys you spoke to made you go, what the fuck are you doing here? A lot of them. A lot. You know, <laughs> I think the, the one thing that was most tragic to me was the guys who went down because their partner ratted on them. Somehow the system sees the person who commits the burglary and then turns on their friend as more moral than the friend who doesn't turn on the other friend. Right. That makes no fucking sense. Well, it's a business, so they get their customer right away. Now you got... Uh, can you repeat the question and cut out? I was saying, that. because incarceration is a business, then they go, uh, look, we just need our customer, we got to get going, we got to get going, we got to get up to our, our, our numbers this year, so you rat on him, we'll get him in jail, and we'll go on to the next case. Bye. Yeah, I, I wrote in shit magnet about there was some Oregon Department of Corrections official, and even in the Oregonian, the daily newspaper in Portland said, she joked that she could just put a ruler at a 45-degree angle and project how many beds they'd fill. You realize it is a fucking business, and a sick business. Because when I was first in, like, I noticed they would keep rolling you up and switching you to another jail or another pod, and I asked like my celly, like, what's going on? He's like, oh, they make money for it. I'm like, what do you mean? He's, the feds give them a hundred bucks every time they move somebody. It's like, wow, what a sick business! Like caging humans for, for profit. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm agnostic as far as the free market, and I, I distrust government. But to me, there's there's something really fucked up about caging humans for money. That's true. But just for the folks at home who thinks this is criticizing the blessed free market. Prisons are the free market and government combined. It was like the government right. bailouts. It's when those two Which get together that's filthy. Isn't that the, the real definition of fascism is business and government as one, as far as I know? I yes. mean, I've been called fascist, and it's like, how? What do you mean? Like, what? I, I usually try to get away from people, not stomp them out or control them. Like, 
the word fascism is like so grossly overused, but I think going back to the roots, technically it means corporate government collusion. Yeah, the, the roots of that it's word are, are economic. Huh? The roots of that word are economic. It's an economic structure. Yeah. Um, one thing really interesting that I found when you were talking about prison was you said, out of all the guys I met in there, all the scary dudes, and everyone I've met outside, I've never met one dude that was not horrified by rape. Not horrified. I never met one that talked about fantasizing about it. For all this, what, what wave of feminism are we on now? I think it's four. four? We're on wave four, feminism 4.0. <laughs> this idea that men just all sit around ribbing each other. Hey, do you like to rape that? Oh, yeah, I'd like to just bloody her. Like, I never heard it. And there was the place I was at in Salem, uh, Santiam Correctional Institution was you know, considered minimum security. It was a miserable place. It was 110 guys, like in army-style barracks. I heard an estimate like half those guys were in for sex crimes. I never heard one ever say, man, I'd like to rape her. Once, never. Even though these many of these guys did in real life, but I can't tell you how many females have confessed to me a rape fantasy. Yeah, I mean repeatedly, and you start thinking, what the fuck is going on? Is this is a lot of this rape culture shit projection? Yeah, the, I mean, uh, yeah, rape is something that I can't. I've stated this many times. I can't relate to it cognitively at all. Because I'm narcissistic and insecure enough that I need the chick to really be into me before I even am interested. Yeah, even <laughs> even prostitution. You need fifty dollars no. to suck my cock, and even then, it has to be in a condom. It's not a turd. I been with one prostitute. It was my payment for performing at the Bunny Ranch in Reno, and uh, selected her, took her to the room, and I, and I explained to her, I'm like, hey, this is really fucking weird for me. And just like what I explained to you, it's like, I need to know the girl's into me. She's like, oh, no, I'm really attracted. I'm even, like, I know you're paid to say that, but I came while she was putting the rubber on. Which to me is not, <laughs> not yeah, I, I wrote an article about it called Five Seconds of Bliss. And for me, premature ejaculation has nothing to do with being overexcited. It's like being nervous and wanting to get the fuck out of there. I don't understand rape on any level, and I, but this idea that all men are rapists or all men are thinking that, yeah, there are, there are guys who are wired that way. And again, I think with some of my research in the rape issue, there was one study, I can't cite it right now, obviously, because my computer is right here and it's blacked out because I'm talking to my laptop, which I think has better sound, but where they did studies that a lot of sex offenders honestly thought that signs of resistance were the girl just being playful. Like right. They, honestly, they didn't say, they didn't know that no means no. They actually sincerely misinterpreted that. And if that's the case, find out what's wrong with these guys' brains. Don't come out with the torches and the vigils and then, like, you're like medieval witch hunters for fuck's sake. It's so distasteful to me. That, that's the whole thing. Figure out why. Forget about right and wrong. Figure out true and false. Why does this happen? Maybe their brains are different. Recent. So much could be solved with more more research into neurology, including what's wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ron Johnson says that in his new book, uh, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And he talks about these um, committees that were looking into the psychology of convicts. And he's found this common thread throughout all crimes, which was shame. Whether they were shamed when they were younger by someone or they were sh I mean, black ghetto uh, gangsters always talk about uh, being disrespected. 
but they would somehow been humiliated and mocked, and then they eventually had to shut off in order to deal with that humiliation and shame and sort of become sociopathic just to survive it. And then once you're a sociopath, you can just stab someone. There's no feelings there. I'd love to be a sociopath. I mean, I'm a more <laughs> torture. <laughs> that sounds like a treat. I mean, yeah. fuck. you could do whatever the you want, take out vengeance and not feel bad. I mean, I'm, I think I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I'm tortured. And Dostoevsky, he said something about, you know, I... Never been able to relocate this line. I read it. It was either in Crime and Punishment or uh, Notes from Underground. He's like, I may seem dead to you, but I'm a thousand times more alive than you could ever imagine. If anything, I'm hypersensitive. I would love that out. As far as being shamed, I mean, my parents tried to shame me for being a loudmouth and for pointing out when they were wrong or, you know, no, Dad, that crayon's not technically blue, it's cobalt. Or the first day in grade school when the nun misspelled something on the blackboard and I got up and told her to correct it and she told me to sit down and I said, I will when you correct it and I got sent to the principal's office. So those attempts at shaming me never worked. It's like, no, you're still wrong. Yeah. Like, but I was, uh, I was bullied for being a weirdo. Uh, you know, I remember being mocked for being a bookworm when I was a kid. And I'm epileptic. I'm, I'm neurologically weird and people can sense it. So I was always ostracized. And maybe, yeah, that form, I definitely have more of an animus toward groups than individuals. I can get along with individuals fairly well, but groups, uh, a whole different mind takes over, and it's, it's something I cannot relate to at all. So, well, yeah, I, I could see, um, is, that, is that antisocial, sociopathic? What, you know, I, I'm lately a sociopath is anyone who's not a socialist. Yeah, yeah. I, I've noticed that. Like, it's just so you just want the poor to riot. I don't pay for some fuck ups liposuction. How about that? <laughs> Is there something wrong with that? Like somebody just eats themselves into becoming 400 pounds. Why should I have to pay for their health care? Right. It has nothing to do with one. It's me not wanting to suffer because someone else made some dumbass decisions. And that, that extends to everything. The, all these stupid fucking wars we're fighting, all the useless interest we pay to the Federal Reserve, all of it. I just, I just want to keep my shit. Yeah, makes me, me sociopath fine. Me too. Not, We're both yeah. part of that same group. You're in my group. We're in a group. I mean, I, but I think you think more along group terms, and I don't, and I, I don't, and I sincerely don't relate to it. But I do get placed into groups by people who think that way. I don't uh, consider myself right wing. I consider myself an ex leftist who saw through the bullshit, just like I saw through the bullshit of Christianity and the bullshit of Santa Claus. I, and I had to do it my own. <laughs> no one told me. I had to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, you're a factarian, and that's part factarian. of my group. We we get out of bed in the morning, seething with rage. When we're in a lineup, and someone in the next lineup buds in front, you have to go over and go, whoa, whoa, whoa! You're not budding in line. Get out of that lineup. Right. It's a Scotch Irish yeah. trait. It's a redneck trait. And I think you and I get along with poor blacks more than liberals because of that Thomas Sowell book, Black Redneck, White Liberal, where he says the whole idea of like a nigger comes from them fraternizing with the Scotch-Irish hillbilly immigrants and drinking and swearing and saying, you know, what you can't say. Black slaves were encouraged to mock white trash. Uh yeah, like you can't even get a job on the plantation for fuck's sake. You've, been, you've just been cast aside. And that was a, an ancient divide and conquer scheme. Uh, I think that the article I wrote is called The Blacks Understand Me Better Than You Do. Uh, <laughs> you can look that up. And it's about being on the MARTA train in Atlanta, going to work, 
and they're almost entirely fully black and me. <laughs> and then one day, like a, a hipster, liberal-looking white guy got on, and we got into this like kind of shoving. They changed the seats on Marta, so there was one seat on every train where there's literally like six inches of leg room. There's no fucking way. And it was to make room for handicapped seats or something. You just can't sit there. Unless you're a midget, you, oh, sorry, a little person, you can't sit there. So you kind of have to tilt your legs. And this guy came in and kept trying to shove my legs. I'm like, hey, man, like, knock it off or I'll knock your fucking head off. Like, don't, don't start with me. And this guy actually wound up stopping the train and getting the police involved and everything and Every black, like, we all had to go to work. And I started, he's like, you know, you're lucky I'm not pressing charges. I'm like, yeah, I can tell you, uh, you seem like a really compassionate individual, rather than a dick. Yeah. And I just, I started riffing on this guy, and every black person on the, was laughing their ass off. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Let's keep going. And I've always related better to them. And but don't tell anybody that, because it will destroy a, a reputation. And, and it's be- not for this need to, well, you know, hey, I'm not a racist. Call me whatever the fuck you want. I've, I've, I did an article about that. Am I racist? Depends on what you mean. Explain it to me and I'll tell you if I am or not. And then that disarms people because it's such a bad word. Nobody wants to be that. It's like, I'm not afraid of the word. Tell me what you mean by it and I'll just tell you honestly, yes or no. And so, that, again, like they had this magic wand. Like they think you can be shamed. And it's like, I don't give a fuck what you think about me as long as it's factual. <laughs> Okay, just to interrupt you here, folks at home, the guy on the Marta bus, you cut out a little bit there, he was a white liberal, and he had an umbrella, just didn't he? Phenotypically, you can, you can size it. I mean, just like, just like in prison after a year or two there, you can pretty much tell what someone's crime is just by looking at him. And you can just tell where this guy was coming from. He was a latte-sipping, upper-middle-class, progressive... Ally. He was an ally. And the other, th- yeah. the other thing I was trying to interrupt you for, that is such a great trick. And I, I want to make sure everyone hears it clearly. When someone calls you racist, say, what does that mean? And I always do it. And it inevitably shuts the conversation down because you realize they've been going along with these tropes and this fashion, political fashion for so long. They've never actually given any of this any kind of thought. No, it's been fed to them. I mean, that's, I think that's the most annoying thing, especially when I get accused of, well, it's the Koch brothers that have, you know, brainwashed. It's like, fuck you. I make up my own conclusions. It has nothing to do with what propaganda I've been fed or what news channel I listen to. At least grant me the sincerity that I, even if it's a dumb conclusion, like, and then you wonder, like, are these people projecting? Because they're obviously sucking down George Soros' cock and jizzling. <laughs> gargling every drop of his cum, the, the tropes and the memes that they fucking spit out, you can tell where they've been spoon-fed it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this, this racism is ultimate sin. It's like, I think tribalism is a natural, evolutionarily wired instinct. And all the propaganda in the world is being used because, to prevent white people from having that tribal instinct. Even if white people were allowed to have that instinct, I wouldn't join the group because I'm, a, I'm an outcast or a loner or an autistic or a sociopath. I'm more observing how societies act from outside of society. Well, it's ironic but, you're, encouraged, you're accused of this tribalism when you're the one of the only people who doesn't practice it. You live, you live below a, a black lady on a horse farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, that's, that's like with some of the tacky commenters, tacky's mag. Yeah. And, uh, oh, you know, he, he's just afraid to admit he's one of us. I'm like, what benefit do I get from, because I get shit from the, um, the other side, thinks I'm a Nazi anyway. 
you guys think I'm a race trader. It's like, what would the benefit be except to stay true to myself and say, fuck both of you? Yeah, I think that's a good indication that you're in the right spot. When the racists hate you and see you as a race-mixing sellout, when the left hates you and sees you as a white supremacist, uh, when sexists see you as a pussy uh, <laughs> who placates women, and when the feminists see you as a sexist, you're like, good, I think I'm... It's like when you're negotiating a deal. When both people feel like they got ripped off, the carpet was sold for a good price. One of the... I mean, the Redneck Manifesto, there was some communist, like, dreadlocked back to Africa collective in Milwaukee that gave it a good review. And Tom Metzger from the White Aryan Resistance gave it a good review. That's when I knew I was doing something right. Right, yeah. <laughs> when you get these fringes agreeing on certain points, it's like, okay, then maybe I, maybe I am the peacemaker and the bridge builder. The, the least likely, there was, uh, where I work now, there was somebody who no longer works there. They talked to me. They wanted to get into an online debate, debate with me. <laughs> And uh, we talked for an hour, and she wound up saying, you know, the thing is, I don't, I can't find anything to disagree with you about. That's And amazing. wound up telling my boss, it's like, you know, if there is going to be a bridge builder, it's Jim. <laughs> it's like, because I don't take fucking sides. Well, that reminds me of, and I don't know if this is a secret or not, but Jared Taylor, the most horrible, evil, white supremacist in the world, his wife was a woman who was doing a documentary on evil and the far right and the most disgusting people on earth. And as she was interviewing him, she sort of goes, oh, this guy seems like a pretty cool guy. And uh, they ended up Jared getting... Taylor's wife was doing Jared that? Taylor, yeah. She was doing a documentary on... But you not know, Jared Taylor's wife? I'm confused. No, Jer before they were husband and wife. Wow. So she's a stranger, wow. leftist liberal, meeting him. And he just says, well, basically, I mean, it's strange to call anyone a white supremacist who believes that Asians uh, score higher on IQ tests. Right. And she's sort of taking notes going... Yeah, this guy's a pretty reasonable dude who just wants to help people out and stop taxpayers wasting money on bullshit. And then they're married that's, and have two kids. That's, I mean, it is a method of seduction in some ways. <laughs> and especially, I notice when you just don't, when you disarm the hand grenade they come at you with. Am I a racist? Just tell me what you mean by it, and I'll tell you if I am. Then, right. the, like, poof, the, the magical hand grenade dissolves. And a lot of times what I've noticed is... Uh, yeah, they'll start spouting off like really hateful shit because they're around somebody who's not made uncomfortable by it. Right, yeah. Well, a racist, I think a, lot of a racist is someone who believes that a group, everyone in that group adheres to certain traits and exceptions are impossible. And this is the whole less problem where they don't understand anecdotal evidence and one data point. So you'll say, uh, for example, I'm a little biased to this example, but women prefer, women tend to want to be at home. Oh, really? Well, my aunt is the head of a corporation and loves it. So fuck you. Your whole theory's bullshit. And you go, okay, I better pack up my theory now because you are one data point and it contradicts it. Garbage theory. Well, then I think what you should do with people like that is if, they're, if one thing discounts the entire thing, it's like, well, you know, at the peak of slavery in the United States in the South where slavery existed, 6% of whites owned slaves. Let the other 94% go free. Let my people free, right. for fuck's sake. And that, I mean, and, and lynchings and everything else, when you stack them up, it's like most white people had nothing to do with it. They might have been complicit in it, but I think these days a lot of black people are complicit in mob attacks on whites and they think it's payback. Right. I think most people are, are going to be complicit with something that benefits them. 
And it's nothing to do with being a hate monger. It's, it's just people are socially wired and they're herd animals. And these same fuckers that are SJW witch hunters now would have been in the clan 100 years ago because that's their psychological profile. <laughs> so in other words, we can't help it. We can't fix this. There's no sense in trying to argue with them and, and drag people towards hate facts and truth. We should just cut them loose and say, fuck you live on a horse ranch (laughs) taking a comic and passive aggressive approach to them and just because because when you come at them all pissed off they think they struck a nerve right well that's one thing i don't think we we conveyed in this interview jim goad's writing is fucking hilarious and he is one of the only people i've ever met sorry to talk about you when you're sitting there but he can write about these horribly serious things like the armenian genocide and add funny quips about it or talk about Baltimore and the way he describes the mayor's face sort of pulls you out of it. And it's this sort of happy warrior ethos that uh, Ezra Levant has too that sort of makes fighting fun and it makes hate seem like a, a good sport. I think that's what confuses people about me and I'm not sure I've reconciled these parts of my personality. But yeah, the, I, when I got out of prison, there's this picture of me. I was a big Rolling Stones fan when I was 12 because I was Catholic and they talked about the devil and having sex with black chick. Everything seemed transgressive to a 12 year old Catholic boy in 1974. And um, I just completely forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> You're a funny, happy warrior. Like when I got out of prison, I, I, put, the th- I put that picture on my wall because I had my Brian Jones haircut. It was a picture they took for the county spelling bee. And I was just this happy, goofy little fucking kid with a big, fat 70s tie and my Prince Valiant hairdo. And I put that over my computer because for so many years I'd become so used to this idea of me just being this hate bomb that I forgot about that part of me. I was voted class clown and class wit by my graduating high school class of 955 kids. There is that part of me. And people, it's like, well, are you, is it satire or is it serious? It's like, well, why can't it be both? Yes. Why yes. can't I be funny and hateful? That's a crucial detail. Uh, Jim, thank you very much. This was very enlightening. I'd like to apologize to the listeners at home for uh, Jim cutting out. That's on my end. It was still incredibly compelling. That's how that's how fascinating this guy is. You need to check out all of his books, specifically The Redneck Manifesto, Shit Magnet after that. He's got a new book out called The Headache Factory. We didn't even touch on about stalkers. And uh, gigantic book. Idaho tomorrow to write a book about Idaho. Oh, cool. He's writing a book about potatoes uh, starting tomorrow. We hope he gets into frozen fries versus uh, hand-cut fries. That's a huge topic uh, I'm obsessed with. Um, Jim, thanks very much. We'll have links on the site on how to check out your work. And uh, World, I love you. We, you know what I have to say to the world? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay? Apology accepted. Thank you. Fuck. It's been long enough. <laughs> See you, man.